The Gist is sponsored by The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst, the new documentary series from HBO. Four decades, three murders, and one very rich man who refused to speak until now. The Jinx airs Sundays at 8, only on HBO. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, February 27th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pascal. Let's play. We haven't done this in a while. Let's play talk show karaoke. And the talk show I'm going to submit is the Slate Political Gab Fest. Now, usually on talk show karaoke, we kind of maybe make fun of either a guest or the questioner. And I jump in and say the answer I wish would have been given. Well, there's no making fun. These guys are too good for that. We're going to hear, we're not going to hear John Dickerson. Maybe I'll pretend to be John Dickerson or the person who should have chimed in third. First, you'll hear David Plotz. Then you'll hear Emily Bazelon. And uh, here we go. I would like to report that I'm going to be out of town next week when Bibi Netanyahu Prime Minister of Israel will visit Washington to address a joint session of Congress. Maybe you can stay in your house. And then I'm going to come in and say, yeah, you could rent him a room through Airbnb. Airbnb. I didn't know whether to go Airbnb or Airbnb, but I mean, that's a good one, right? Okay, on the show. Oh, it is Slate Managing Producer Joel Myers here. Hello, Joel. Hello, Michael. It's Andy Rowling. Uh, Andrea, do you want her to roll? Andy can do whatever he wants. Okay. I want to offer you a peace offering. Okay. Do you see what I'm holding in my hand? It looks like a framed uh, certificate of Do you some know sort? what it says? It's an award. It's a humor award for your puns. It's a punny plaque. Oh, thank you, Joel. The purpose of this is to show that you have a sense of humor uh-huh. and I have a sense of humor. Okay. Okay. You know I'm a big fan of Jim Belushi's. Yes, Jim. Okay, yes, Jim you're not Belushi. a fan of his. But yeah, let's just say that his... Guy, but yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is what I want to provide to you right now. I want I want this to be a peace offering. I think everything is copacetic. If you would agree, I'd like for you to hang it up in your cubicle. All right. And we can then go on from there. My son did make that, so this is not something to be thrown away. Okay, okay. That's great work out of Aaron Caleb. That's lovely. Joel, I want to thank you. That okay. I take it as a peace offering. In the I don't have to intended. leave right now. Well, I do have to announce the rest of the show and okay, talk about some other things. But if Andy was taping, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Andrea was. Andrea got all that. Yeah, good. Okay. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and he, he's just given me a plaque. A plaque for puns. Thank you. In the show today, I spiel about the idea. What idea? The idea that somehow. The idea that somehow what? Look, I'll explain it. But first, Kurt Brownoler, comedian, adventurer, skier of jets. I want to explain with this interview, I was a little bit sick, I was a little bit under the weather, so I recorded it out of the studio, which means it might sound a little off. Of course, you are listening to an interview about a guy who's jet skiing down the Mississippi to comedic effect. If you're focused on the microphone, maybe that's a little bit about you. Maybe, a little bit. Anyway, and now a guest who's very gisty, but also very jet ski. Kurt Brownholer is a comedian, a raconteur, a storyteller. I guess that's a synonym for raconteur. You've heard him on This American Life. Maybe you've heard him on Radio Lab talking about Kristen Charles equine habits. But you know, he's also doing a series called Roustabout, recently concluded. You can catch it on Comedy Central. Here we go. How do we, uh... Let's get wet for goats! 
You know, it's the classic guy jet skis up the Mississippi in an attempt to raise goats premise, but he really adds something to it. Hello, Kurt. Hello. How are you? So let me read the, you know this, but I want my audience to get the full feel of what Roust about is. And to go back to your question, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> Kurt's plan is to jet ski the length of the mighty Mississippi from Chicago to New Orleans, raise enough money to send 500 goats and 1,000 chickens to Africa, and spread as much joy and absurdity as possible. Now, the nouns in that sentence, were they mad-libbed? Uh, how'd, you, how'd you decide on those? <laughs> that was just the most accurate way to describe what was happening. The whole show roustabouts about what's the dumbest way to make the world a better place. And at first I wanted to jet ski across the country. And then people revealed to me that that was not a thing that you could do. Yes. I think Lewis and Clark and others before Ponce de Leon, many have tried. Not, maybe not with jet skis, but yeah, traversing the United States by waterway. Impossible. They have tried, but all of them failed. <laughs> I don't know anything about explorers. They're, <laughs> they've all failed. We've never discovered California. Right. Or as we call it, that place west of Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. I call it the Louisiana Purchase. But... There'd be monsters, yeah. So were you a jet skier before you attempted the series? Uh, I hadn't been on a jet ski in about, five, say, 15 years. It wasn't, like I, it wasn't like I was like, I love jet skiing. How can I do the thing I love? It was more like, what's the dumbest mode of transportation? And it was a tie between segways and jet skis. And so we went with a jet ski. Maybe next season we'll segue the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, but I think segways are already known material for comedy. And if anything, your comedy likes to go to the unknown. And you really point out that jet skis are dumb. I think maybe people thought jet skis were cool just because it has like both those syllables are cool when separate. So I think the thing that makes them dumb is the water coming out of them. It looks like a horse running and defecating at the same time, but on water. You know, and they also add, like, this extra thing where the water just shoots up. I finally, like, asked some of our safety team, like, why does that happen? And they're like, there's absolutely no reason for that. That's just <laughs> so you can seem even dumber to have a, a trail, like a big arcing tail of water shooting out of the back. Classic jet ski affectation. Yeah, exactly. That's the bow tie of the jet ski's tux. <laughs> what, uh, so what was the shoot like? How much of this was actually you on a jet ski and how much was just doing it for the cameras and then taking a logical mode of transportation down the Mississippi? Well, it was seven days and uh, we, wanted, we, we were trying very hard to do the whole thing. The whole thing is 1,100 miles and I would say we actually covered on the water about 600 miles. My God. And so the way it would work is we'd wake up at 6 a.m. We would shoot something from usually like 6 a.m. to noon or so and then get on the water right after a quick lunch and then jet ski until it got dark around 8 or 9 p.m. Because uh, this was in June. And so it was, you know, it was 15, 16 hour days, but eight of those hours were just on a on a wild bucking horse of a of a jet ski that just spews industrial waste out of its own butt and not for tv purposes i mean the whole did the t camera crews meet you there did you hire new crews for every location no we had a crew the whole time we had two chase boats one was our quote unquote safety boat and one was our uh our camera boat they quickly became one boat uh, only because the, the, the safety boat was far too slow to keep up with us. I thought you were going to say the safety boat capsized. No, the safety boat did run out of gas five hours into the trip, though. Uh, we almost all ran out of gas because we passed. there were supposed to be six gas stations between Great Lakes and the uh, Illinois River. 
because uh, we started in you know in the in Lake Michigan in Chicago and then went down Chicago River to Illinois River to the Mississippi and we ran out of gas five hours in, which was crazy because we ran out of gas over. There's an area. Uh, in the Illinois River, and the Illinois River is a, is is a is just a trash zone. It's no one's boating on it. It's just industrial barges. The walls are just eleven feet of concrete, and uh, it's it's pretty stagnant because it's all locks, and so it's not like clean in any way, shape, or form. But there's one section of it where they have a problem with this invasive species called the Asian carp. And uh, if the Asian carp get to the Great Lakes, they will decimate the Great Lakes because there's no natural predators. And so what they've done is they've just, for about a mile of the river, they've just uh, electrified the water. Uh, That's the way they decided to deal with not having these fish get into the Great Lakes. And that's where, I mean, it was like amazing, like, oh, here's where we're going to run out of gas. And we actually had to have like a PA drive to Sears, buy containers for gas, drive to a gas station, fill those containers up and then jump a fence and then run across a field like ruled by rats and then just throw containers of gas down an 11 foot wall to the boats to refill the engines. It was crazy. What does electrified water mean? Like if you touch it, do you go, ouch? Or what does it mean? I didn't touch it, so I couldn't tell you. But I was, you know, I was inches from it. I was on a jet ski. But everywhere there are these billboard signs that say electric shock, uh, water electrified warning. What like they start off green and then they become yellow and then they become red when you're like right over the wires that's electrifying the water. So this trip, this isn't like the Appalachian Trail. I mean, due to stretches like that, and I saw there are a couple other hairy, non-recreational, boater-friendly yeah. stretches. So no one really does the trip unless they have a goal like Goats to Africa and a Comedy Central show. Yeah, what's interesting is no one, uh, no one boats on the Mississippi River. I thought they would, but no one does. And primarily because the Mississippi is uh, it's a 10-knot current. And that means that it rips a lot of stuff off of shorelines and just puts it in the middle of the river. So when you're going at 30, 40 miles an hour, you're constantly watching out for fallen trees, debris, sticks, dead animals. And if you can hit one of those, if you hit a tree at 40 miles an hour that's floating in the water, you could totally destroy the ski. So it was kind of like it's not relaxing at all. It's very... Uh, people are there's a chase boat up ahead, like looking, pointing out debris in the water for me to avoid. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Did you go in formation? Is there like like geese flying? Were you drafting off someone? What's the, the only time there? that there would be like a strategy would be when there's a barge coming down uh, towards us. I would always have to be on the inside of the boat. So the boat was closest to the barge. And these barges are crazy. They're about. They're the, they're the width of a football field. Like, they'll tie multiple barges together. So they can be, like, three or four football lengths long. And then the driver is just a guy in a tug, and he's all the way hundreds and hundreds of yards down. He can't see the front of his barge. He just knows the way the river is and assumes that no one is recreational boating on this river. And so they, it was there was it was pretty terrifying a lot of times. Now, your show was a comedy show and I caught a bunch of episodes. I caught the one with the uh, the wedding and there were bits of and you had some episodes that were more about the river itself, the one with the locks. But it does seem like you encountered a whole bunch of stuff that would have had the makings of a very fine documentary on how the Mississippi works. And it just wasn't, you know, appropriate for the tone of the show. You know, this has been like a year of my life of six months planning and then a week of shooting and then six months editing and editing the thing was took six months because it was really trying to figure out 
you know, what this show is or could be. And we ended up kind of edit- editing it a little bit like you would a documentary. But of course, it, you know, it, it lives online. And so they had to live as like these little, you know, six minute things. So they had to pop a little bit more. But, you know, in my dream world, we would have been able to edit this for an hour and a half long feature and given a little more time to certain moments because there was a lot of beautiful moments that we just kind of had to cut because it was like, well, there's not a ton of jokes right here. This was supposed to be when I sold a web series to Comedy Central was two years ago at this point, almost three years ago. And it was supposed to be just an interview show. (laughs) That was what I sold to them. And then it just continued to evolve until became, you know, what it is, where it's just this idea of what's the dumbest way to make the world a better place. Kurt Brownholer, to support the Roustabout tour, uh, he's all over the country. You could check him out. Don't even worry about spelling his last name. Just Google Kurt Comedy. Kurt is with a K. That we should note. That is true. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you very much. The Gist is sponsored by The Jinx, the life and deaths plural, of Robert Durst, which is a new documentary series from HBO. Not that new. It's on its, I think, uh, third part. It's captivating, captivating. Four decades, three murders, one very rich man who refused to speak until now, or episode one. As I said, it's on like the third or fourth part. It airs Sundays at eight on HBO. It's a six-part series. It's by filmmaker Andrew Jarecki. It's about Robert Durst, who's this millionaire, this real estate millionaire at the heart of three murders. And it exposes long-buried information discovered during a seven-year investigation into these crimes. It was made with the cooperation of Durst, who says he's innocent, remains a free man to this day. The guys behind it, like I said, are Andrew Jarecki and Mark Smerling. They were nominated for an Oscar for Capturing the Freedmans. If you've ever seen Capturing the Freedmans, you know what kind of quality they bring to this account. The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst, airs Sundays at 8, only on HBO. And now the spiel. A motion about notions. On this show a few months ago, we quoted from the Wall Street Journal an article citing the rise of wearing yoga pants, which actually has been much greater than the rise in actually performing yoga. Here was a paragraph from that story. The result is a phenomenon the apparel industry calls athleisure. Now, a couple days ago, the Wall Street Journal is reporting on a closely related phenomenon, not just wearing any yoga pants or any leggings, but brightly colored or brightly Patterned leggings, the journal says this, sales of women's leggings advanced 18% in 2014 to $1.1 billion, with sales of active leggings growing twice as fast as leggings overall in the crowded athleisure segment. Now, a couple of things have changed. One, the original tone of the article, I think, had it right. It was titled, Yoga Posers Athletic Gear Soars Outpacing Sport Itself. And the latest article seems a little more unquestioning. More notable is that the word athleisure a couple months ago was just a word, portmanteau word, but now it's a hyphenate. Is this the journal's way of drawing attention to the bizarrity of the word? This idea that somehow they're going to slip a hyphen between the ath and the leisure and not have me raise the very obvious question, why have you decided to hyphenate it there? Why shouldn't it be athlete hyphen easier? Because athletic, the letic, and the leisure have a couple of letters in common. And another thing, 
This idea that somehow a dress, the dress, of uncertain pigmentation is a legit story just because Taylor Swift tweets about it is ridiculous. To me, the dress phenomenon doesn't say anything more that once Twitter reaches a threshold, it can justify any topic as interesting just because everyone else is tweeting about it. Now, earlier in the day, llamas... That was interesting, okay? They're in the tradition of Honey Badger, Left Shark, Grumpy Cat, Bronx Zoo Cobra, Cannibal Rat Ship, Ikea Monkey, Sneezing Panda, Dramatic Chipmunk. Those were animals who gave us joy and a momentary fixation. It's inevitable that we're going to be captivated by the juxtaposition of the urban center and the beast of the field. But a dress, somehow this notion that a dress, which could have been shot through any filter, is worthy of a meme just because it became a meme? Come on. And that, just listeners, and I should also add now, Panapolesians, that is my theme today. No, nothing about the dress, nothing about yoga. Phrase I said, the idea that somehow. It's the preamble that has it all. It's embraced by the right. There's this notion that somehow there's moral equivalence between what the terrorists did and what we do. And the left. This notion that somehow there was this ready-made, moderate uh, Syrian force. So right there, you heard Cheney and Obama speaking not of this idea that somehow, but this notion. Notions are good. Notions are good to use in those phrases. Notions are like ideas, but with less ballast, right? You got to respect ideas. I mean, Booker T. Washington spoke of slavery as the idea that the disadvantage of one man is the good of another. Whereas notion, that's taken less seriously. Let me quote, I'd like to know where you got the notion to rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. Don't tip the boat over. And that was said by the Hughes Corporation. And remember, corporations are people under the law. This idea that somehow a corporation is a person. The idea that somehow there is an absolute rejection of the grand jury in Ferguson, Missouri. It's so much more convenient than explicitly saying, hold on a second while I construct my straw man. It's so much less time consuming than actually and accurately quoting opposition figures who are putting forth bad arguments. It's not in the congressional record. It's in the ether. The, the, the notion that somehow I ran for public office or members of, pub, of Congress are in this so that they can go around pulling the plug on grandma? The idea that somehow it's such a great throat clearer, it's a great scene setter, it's a great generator of drama. Remember, drama is conflict. It immediately sets up an opposition and sets it up on your terms. You can use it to quickly conjure arguments that you know are out there, or you can use it to simply make up arguments that you wish were out there, like this. I had this idea that somehow if I controlled what I ate, I could never get hurt again. The idea that somehow is a gift, a trick, a gambit, a ruse, a go-to, and a friend. The idea that somehow you shouldn't use it, this notion that somehow people will ever notice what you're doing and call you on it, that notion is fanciful. Fanciful at best. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi once paddled down the Yangtze River on a penny-farthing junk boat. Managing producer of Slate Podcasts, Joel Meyer, has dignity, humanity, and taste. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, traversed the Champs-Élysées in a Flintstone DeLorean. So it's like the car from Back to the Future, but hollowed out so you have to use your feet. You could tweet us at Slate Gist. 
Also, the gist is part of the Panoply Network. Do you know about the Panoply Network? Are you getting to know the Panoply Network? It's a whole bunch of new podcasts. We're redefining podcasting. The Panoply Network is, uh, you can check it out on iTunes.com slash Panoply. But what the Panoply Network is asking me to ask you to do, and I think it would be actually a cool experiment, I want to inject the visuals. So podcasts, they're personal, they're in your own ears, but where are you when you're listening? I want to know. When I'm done with this sentence, I want to know. I want a picture of where you're listening to the gist. If you're driving, don't do it that way, okay? But if you're anywhere else, if you want to get over on the side of the road, I'm going to count down, and when I hit one, take a picture, and then send that picture to panoplysocial at slate.com. P-A-N-O-P-L-Y, social. I'm not going to spell that. It's a regular social. It's a regular panoply, but it's a little more obscure word. So again, panoplysocial at slate.com. We'll have a whole collection of different places where people listen to the podcast. So I'm going to count down. You ready? Take your picture in three, two, one. I once used a version of Evil Knievel's steam-powered rocket Sky Cycle X2 to jump the Snake River Canyon, but my twist was it wasn't a sky cycle, it was a soul cycle, and it was stationary, and it was only on one side of the canyon, and I never even intended to jump. But let me tell you, my instructor was amazing, and she played the best music, and it was this intense workout, but it was also like this transformative experience, and like you really bond with everyone in the class. Plus, even if the workout doesn't really work, your legs look really good in the yoga pants, the sky cycle leggings with the skulls on the side. Also, we turned it into a web series for WeTV and it airs right after Sex Box. Watch it. Thanks for listening. I rock on with your bed till I'm your